You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Random violent stranger assaults are a growing concern on our streets and they were the focus of fiery debate in the legislature today. The BC Liberals on the attack calling on the province for changes to the so-called catch and release program. Keith Baldry joins us live from Victoria with more on this. Keith, this is obviously a serious and complex mm -hmm. problem. It's not going to be fixed overnight, but uh, British Columbians calling for some sort of action. Yeah, no surprise it landed with a real loud noise on the floor of the B.C. legislature today. This issue has been dominating uh, news headlines and newscasts for some time now. Just purely random stranger assaults of violence. Uh, the most latest uh, case being a, a woman of smallest stature being violently assaulted by a larger man in the lobby of her residence. This is not an isolated example. We've seen numerous uh, instances of people being assaulted. And one of the issues the Liberals seized upon today in the, in the House, and there's a lot of moving parts here, folks, but one of them is, again, people committing a number of assaults on a repeated basis, yet having no paying no consequences and not facing incarceration. Mike DeYoung, the former Attorney General, asking the current Attorney General, Murray Rankin, today, will he use his power under the Crown Counsel Act to issue special directives to prosecutors to not uh, accept slight bail conditions and keep chronic offenders incarcerated? Here's an exchange. One of the options available to this government and to the Attorney General are to issue specific directives, a specific directive to prosecutors across British Columbia how to request and demand from the courts the detention of those people who purposely perpetrate criminal behaviour. The question to the Attorney General today, the recommendation contained in his report, he's been on the job now for some months, will he assure the House today that he will act on that recommendation and issue the directives necessary to begin the process of making people feel safe here in British Columbia? If the member is asking, Mr. Speaker, if we seek to excuse criminal behaviour, of course we don't. And that is why we have the opportunity. The minister is the member is asking a very specific question. Under the Crown Counsel Act, we have the, the Attorney General has the ability to issue directives. He's asking me today if we're going to do that. Mr. Speaker, my answer remains, as I said in the last intervention, I will examine that and all opportunities to see if that would make a difference, Mr. Speaker, because that Members. is our commitment to make a difference. And yes, I'll say it again, Mr. Speaker, to work with all of our partners in the criminal justice system and municipalities to make sure we get it right. So what are the um, solutions, Keith? How can we fix this? Like I say, a lot of moving parts here, very complex. Mental health plays a large role here. The government's 120-page um, report uh, paints a vivid picture of just how dangerous it is out there in a number of communities and does offer 28 recommendations, including more study and panels. I don't think people are looking for that. But Murray Rankin is going to be meeting with his federal counterpart to talk about potential changes to the system. Uh, the federal government controls the criminal code, for example. There's been court judgments on bail situations. But uh, interesting whether he'll follow through on Mike DeYoung's suggestion for a specific directive to Crown prosecutors to block attempts to release prisoners uh, with soft bail conditions and push judges to have more people face consequences as a result of the random pattern of attacks on strangers in their communities. We'll see, we'll see what kind of action uh, he ends up taking. Thanks for that, Keith. The municipal elections are now less than two weeks away and Vancouver mayoral candidates hit the campaign trail pretty hard today. Incumbent Mayor Kennedy Stewart released his party's full platform while Ken Sim reiterated his commitment to transit growth with two other Metro Vancouver mayoral candidates as well. Grace Key reports.
more affordable housing and renter protections, all part of mayoral candidate Kennedy Stewart's newly released platform. Forward Together will approve and enable 220,000 new homes over the next 10 years. 140,000 of these homes will be rental, below market rental, social housing and co-ops. Stewart plans to transform Hastings Street into a wellness corridor with indigenous focused facilities, support services and a park and dispatch a new specially trained health and addictions response team to help those in need. We've got to take pressure off the VPD. What we need to do is help police uh, to by sending in different teams that can offer support. Stewart promises to build 6,000 new childcare spaces and work with the province to license more providers, especially home-based options. For the environment, install 500 new electric vehicle charging stations and have neighbourhoods elect their own city councillor, replacing the at-large electoral system. I'd like to welcome up uh, mayoral candidate Ken Sim. At Hastings Park, ABC mayoral candidate Ken Sim announced his first transit priority after the UBC line. I'd like to see a SkyTrain line here coming across the second narrows and then continuing to downtown Vancouver. And there are plans to make it happen. It's in the TransLink 2050 plan. Sim was joined by the mayors of Coquitlam and the District of North Vancouver. He talked about the need to work with other municipalities to achieve common goals. There are 23 local authorities that can weigh in. And we need to work together, and that is the point of us coming together here today, to show that we can work together and we will work together to make sure that Metro Vancouver gets the funding it deserves. With Election Day less than two weeks away, the two are taking jabs at each other's platforms. Ken Sims' plan is gimmicky and it won't get the job done. The difference between his fantasy loop and our first transit priority after the UBC line is teamwork. Grace Key, Global News. And another Vancouver mayoral candidate was also on the campaign trail today to make an announcement, this one about the proposed 2030 Winter Olympics. Colleen Hardwick from Team for Livable Vancouver says there needs to be a plebiscite on the Games. Hardwick says there was a plebiscite in the lead up to the 2010 Vancouver Games and one should be done before the decision is made about 2030. Why would we exclude Vancouverites from such a big decision, one where there's absolutely no federal or provincial commitment uh, at this point? Hardwick, who is a current city councillor, says she can't understand why mayor and council would think it appropriate not to give the general public a say in whether they want to host the Olympics again. Hardwick is also calling on other candidates to announce whether they support a plebiscite. Back to provincial politics for a moment because today marks an important deadline to enter the race for leader of the BC NDP, meaning the race is officially on. The party has already approved one candidate, that's David Eby, but the only other known hopeful hasn't received party approval yet. Richard Zussman shows us what that means. The race is now on, sort of. The deadline to enter the BC NDP leadership race is Tuesday. David Eby has submitted his paperwork and has been approved to run. Angelia Paterai has submitted as well, but she's not yet approved. I don't believe that there's any reason that I wouldn't uh, be cleared uh, as a candidate. I haven't heard otherwise from the party. I haven't heard otherwise from Elections BC. The party is reviewing multiple allegations made against the Paterai's campaign around the way she signed up members, with many inside the party actually believing a Paterai sold more memberships than Eby did 
although no official numbers have been released. I think there's a lot of reason to believe that we sold a lot of memberships and that we are a credible, um, uh, competent threat in this race. Global News has learned senior civil servants, Crown Corporations and others have been asked to have briefing books ready for a new premier by next week setting the party up to make the decision between allowing a Paterai to stay in the race or to toss her and allowing Eby to win uncontested. There's a, a real difficult choice here, and I'm not sure that either one of those options is, is uh, going to be a, uh, a pain-free one for the NDP. As the saga drags on, risk of the public being concerned about the race goes up the party attempting to conduct business as usual at the legislature. That's what we're focused on, and I have every confidence that uh, David Eby will be the next Premier. But it's clear, post-Premier John Horgan, the party will have work to do. A recent poll from the Angus Reid Institute found 30% of British Columbians find Eby appealing. 34% say they don't know enough about him, and 36% find him unappealing. Uh, regardless of who is leading our party, uh, we have two years uh, to address some of the biggest challenges our province has ever faced, uh, and I look forward to taking on that work. The ultimate decision on whether a Padurai can run is expected to be made by October 19th, the final candidate registration deadline. If she's good to go, members will find out in December which of these two will be the next premier. Richard Sussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, two weeks after his trial began, a Langley man has now pleaded guilty to three charges of second-degree murder in the deaths of three family members. Back in June of 2020, three bodies were found inside a burned home in the 19600 block of Wakefield Drive in Langley. Weeks later, Kia Abrahamian was arrested for the murders of his sibling, their mother, and her common-law husband. Abrahamian will appear in set, uh, for sentencing in December and could face life in prison with no parole eligibility for 10 to 25 years. A Global News investigation has uncovered concerning allegations including sexual misconduct involving North Vancouver's top cop. RCMP Superintendent William Yee is no longer the officer in command at the detachment and his future is uncertain. Ramina Dea has the exclusive details. Global News has learned RCMP Superintendent William Yee was reassigned recently after a complaint was filed by a member alleging inappropriate sexual contact. Yee has since taken personal leave, a major blow just a year after North Vancouver proudly welcomed Yee as the new officer in charge, a 25-year veteran who also served in Kelowna with IHIT, the province's homicide team. North Vancouver RCMP ignoring our emails on this serious matter. Late Tuesday, an email from BC RCMP headquarters. Our request for an on-camera interview declined. Don Roberts confirming there's an internal investigation. That investigation, which was initiated immediately once we became aware of the allegation, will provide us the information necessary to make any additional decisions or take any other actions. I can also confirm that internal investigation is not being done by the North Vancouver RCMP. Global News has spoken to other members who say they were harassed and bullied by Superintendent Yee. We've been told these concerns were brought forward in a managerial review, which took place just a few weeks ago. RCMP headquarters not commenting further.
No response from City Mayor Linda Buchanan, but District Mayor Mike Little tells us he has been briefed by RCMP top brass. And in the interim, Inspector Vaz Kassam is the officer in charge in North Vancouver. Romina Dea, Global News. Well, after 80 days without rain, the situation is critical on the Sunshine Coast. The reservoir that feeds drinking water to Seashelt is dangerously low. What residents are facing is their water supply dries up. Next on the News Hour. Well, I was born miner's daughter. The death of Loretta Lynn and the legendary singer's connection to Vancouver coming up just looked a little different. Plus, the unusual attraction bringing visitors of all kinds to this tiny Alberta town. That's later. But first, the drought situation in the Sunshine Coast Regional District is worsening with 22,000 people now facing a critical shortage of clean water. As Aaron MacArthur tells us, this level four drought comes after weeks of tighter restrictions. The regional district pulling out all the stops. Flying in siphons and pumps, tapping in to back up water sources. The Sunshine Coast has been on stage four water restrictions since the end of August. If something doesn't change, there are fears there won't be enough water to last more than a month. When I say running out of water is actually mean that we're losing the, our capacity to provide residents with uh, water, um, that we're not able to provide enough water to our hospital as well as for firefighting. There hasn't been any meaningful rain on the Sunshine Coast since the beginning of July. Chapman Lake has slowly dwindled away. It's so low, it can no longer fill the channel that feeds the water filtration plant. This is what the channel looked like in August. A month later, it was just a trickle. That prompted the regional district to rely on siphons in the middle of the lake. But the lake level is now so low, those are starting to fail too. Emergency Operations Centre is currently already planning for, okay, what other measures can we take? Can we truck in water from other water systems? Can we further reduce the consumption by the community? Uh, really all, all kind of options are being explored. Chapman Lake is the primary water source for some 22,000 people stretching from Roberts Creek to Half Moon Bay. This, the second year in a row, the Sunshine Coast has set up an emergency operations center to help navigate the water shortage. It's insane considering where we live and how much rain we normally get, although we're in a drought now, everything's changing. It's a finger-pointing game. Let's point this way and then let's point the other way. Gibson's, which operates on a separate water system, has agreed to push 1,000 cubic meters per day to Seashelt a drop in the bucket for what's required. Residents have reduced consumption to about half of what it typically is, but a situation that can't continue long-term. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Okay, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now to widen this out a little bit. Christy, we haven't had much moisture in this mm -hmm. part of the province either, so what kind of shape is Metro Vancouver in right now? Mm -hmm. Well, thankfully, the Metro Vancouver water supply is still in that normal range. And this is really because of two things. We had a wet spring and start to summer, and that allowed us to go into those dry months with the reservoirs topped up. And in addition, we had a really substantial snowpack. And so that snow melt allowed us to keep within that normal range. Now, we still don't have any rainfall as far as we can see within the next seven days and beyond. Metro Vancouver says that they are going to continue to monitor the situation. And if they have to, they'll extend the lawn watering regulations 
conditions beyond mid-October. But at this point, the water supply is in good standing. Now, one thing this fall really highlights is how climate changes really alter our seasons at times. So what we expect will happen doesn't necessarily happen. And um, Metro Vancouver is planning for these changes. They're actually using climate models to predict what those changes might be. But really, they're urging the public to also do their part by minimizing their water use year-round, not just in the summer months, because this is really important in order for us to keep that good water supply in the years to come. Changes we all got to get used to, it sounds like. Thank you very much, Christy. Mm -hmm. Firefighters have gained the upper hand at Minicata Regional Park. The fire in Coquitlam has been brought under control. It started Saturday and quickly spread to cover 14 hectares of steep terrain. In the past 24 hours, though, ground crews and helicopters have laid hoses around the perimeter and have gone in to attack the flames. 50 firefighters remain on scene to Dallas hotspots. Minicata Park remains closed, though, and smoke might still be visible from isolated pockets of the park. Crews on the ground continue to um, uh, engage in firefighting operations, um, uh, identifying hot spots, also doing a, um, a dangerous tree assessments, as well as de uh, dangerous tree um, falling to make sure, make sure that uh, the trees that are um, have been impacted by the fire um, do not uh, pose a, a risk or danger to our crews. Um, the conditions uh, are very, very difficult to work in. That's uh, why this fire has been very stubborn and taken us longer to, uh, to bring it to this stage. Metro Vancouver officials expect the park to stay closed until they know it's safe for the public to enter. Two people were rushed to hospital with critical injuries following a bear attack near Dawson Creek. Conservation officers placed yellow evidence markers at the site of the attack. A family was walking along Wolverine Trail Monday evening when they came across a black bear that charged at them. They ran, but the bear caught them badly injuring two women. One was flown to hospital in Edmonton. A teen boy who tried to help was also hurt. RCMP say the male bear hovered nearby as officers reached the victims in the bush and could not be scared off, so officers end up shooting and killing the animal. Coming up, new developments in a dream home nightmare. Are you with AHA Custom Homes? What happened when Global News tried to track down a builder accused of shoddy workmanship? But first, another Vancouver monument hit by vandals. Clearing a crash in Burnaby eastbound on Highway 1 at Sprottstone. Still pretty heavy for traffic from the Cassiar right through Vancouver. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside the Real Canadian Superstores and Walmarts throughout BC. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. Open 9 to 9 every day. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. There's been another apparent act of vandalism on Vancouver's waterfront, and it's not far from where the Olympic cauldron was hit over the weekend. It appears someone tried to break the glass at the Komagata Maru Memorial in Coal Harbor. The damage has distorted the entire image. Earlier today, Vancouver police released video of two people who caused thousands of dollars of damage to the nearby Olympic cauldron at Jackpool Plaza early Saturday. There is no word on whether the two incidents are related or what might have caused the damage to the memorial. ICBC services are back online now after some frustrating hours for customers. Lines were long outside ICBC locations today for people trying to renew their licenses or take a test. 
It appears the issues started yesterday with some people complaining the website was down and those needing to book driver's license appointments unable to do so. ICBC says it's still investigating the cause of the outage but have ruled out the possibility of a hack or cyber attack. More tonight about the builder linked to what two Okanagan families describe as the nightmare construction of their new homes. The purchase has left both families in a difficult situation with virtually no answers from the builder. Taya Fast reports. Two West Kelowna families have come forward with allegations including shoddy work and misleading documents after purchasing newly built homes from AHA Custom Homes or also known as Silver Way Custom Homes. Jessie Angus's occupancy documents list AHA Custom Homes where her neighbours whose home was built by the same builders list Silver Way Custom Homes. Despite two different company names, both Angus and her neighbours say they dealt with the same person who they identify as AJ. After several attempts to contact the builder, AJ returned our calls only after we went by the listed address of the company in Surrey, which appears to be his home. Are you with AHA Custom Homes? Yes. Yes? Yes. Uh, can we speak to the owner of... Uh... He's not here right now. AJ refused to go on camera or be interviewed. AJ told us our questions should be directed to Silverway Custom Homes, but when Global News asked if he owned both AHA and Silverway, he hung up the phone. Is he in West Kelowna right now? Yeah, he's there. Global News could not confirm if AJ was on site in West Kelowna on Tuesday. Last week, Sarah Livesey and Scott Watkins told Global News they found 22 pages of deficiencies during their final walkthrough of the house. But the couple says they were told by the builder that the city of West Kelowna granted unconditional occupancy, which according to city officials was not the case. Angus also had similar issues and says after talking to Watkins and Livesey's, she believes her occupancy letter appears to have been cropped. Today, I actually found out from the city over the phone that my occupancy report that I received from my builder actually had 15 items on it that made it conditional occupancy. Both families have been in contact with the city regarding their concerns, while Watkins and Livesey have been in contact with a lawyer and their real estate agent as well. TFS Global News, West Kelowna. Just ahead, a local charity needs a Christmas miracle. Building a pop-up Toys R Us, it's that kind of size of space we need. A desperate call out from the Christmas Bureau so they can make spirits bright. And participation gives our children a failing grade. What it will take to get them moving again. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Evening and good news. Cleared a collision just past the east end of the Portman Bridge and traffic has recovered well in both directions. Looking for diversified exposure to alternative energy? They've got ETFs for that. Horizons, ETFs, ETF solutions for every investor. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. An organization that helps thousands of families every holiday season needs its own Christmas miracle. Krista Dow tells us why the Surrey Christmas Bureau is finding it particularly difficult to find a home this year. So beginning very soon, we're going to need a lot of space to sort toys like these. The small office here running out of space. Usually by this time, these toys and more would be stored in a 10,000 square foot facility. If you think about 
building a pop-up Toys R Us. It's that kind of size of space we need. Hi, Ray. How's it going? But this year, the Surrey Christmas Bureau says it's been challenging finding a space large enough, and the clock is ticking. If it gets any later than end of October, then I am going to be seriously concerned about our capacity to fulfill all those Christmas wishes. Parents are welcome to take one down and have a look. Each year, the nonprofit donates toys, stocking stuffers, and gift cards to more than 2,000 families and 4,500 children. Every parent just wants to give their child a happy Christmas. Seeing the relief on parents' faces, the weight roll off their shoulders, it's just an amazing feeling. The Bureau requires a donated space for two to three months, located centrally in Surrey, accessible by transit. A parking lot is ideal and a loading bay even better. But the growth of the city and its success inadvertently creating obstacles. Well, the challenge is, is the lack of availability. Uh, they may seem vacant, but they're occupied or they're going to be occupied soon. The charity pleading with any developers and commercial property owners to open up both their hearts and space. Please, 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 if you have a space, even if it's under contract for lease in January, we can use the space now if it's vacant and we will magically disappear and leave it without a trace. Krista Dow, Global News. Well, Canadian children are getting less physical activity and getting a failing grade from participation, an organization dedicated to the physical and emotional well-being of Canadians. And it seems screen time might be at least partially responsible. But as Travis Prasad discovers, it's not all doom and gloom. Pandemic restrictions were a challenge for children, mentally, socially and physically. Not surprisingly, there was a decline in the overall physical activity of Canadian children and youth. At the height of the pandemic, playdates, PE classes and sports tournaments came to a halt. A new national report by Participation shows just how much Canadian kids have slowed down. On average, just 28% of children are getting the recommended hour or more of moderate to vigorous exercise every day, resulting in a D grade, down from the D plus in 2020. Perhaps we've become too reliant on structured sport and recreation programming for kids to be physically active. The adults in the kids' lives also have to model what what we want our kids to do. So, you know, as a family, go out to the park, go out biking, go for walks, go to the beach. The drop in physical activity appears to be replaced by time in front of screens. The report says an average of 82% of kids are getting more than the recommended two hours of recreational screen time every day, earning them a failing grade, a significant drop from the D-plus in 2020. What is more concerning is that the increase in screen time uh, looks relatively stable. Uh, so it looks like maybe we have had or going to have more challenge uh, trying to roll back the amount of recreational screen time uh, that kids are engaged in. Dr. Anna Wallach says screens can also encourage an active lifestyle. Workout. With online dance and exercise videos becoming more popular. It's not an excuse anymore not to go out and not to exercise. It's crack open a window and put on, um, put on an exercise video and then just, just get to it. The report is not all bad news. It shows the average number of kids getting enough sleep each night is holding steady around 70%. Good enough for a B. It also suggests physical activity is bouncing back to pre-pandemic levels, though it's a far cry from a passing grade. Travis Prasad, Global News. 
The death of Loretta Lynn has sparked new interest in the fact that country music legend actually got her start as a recording artist right here in Vancouver. A plaque in the 2500 block of East Kent Avenue celebrates the beginning of the career of a superstar. After seeing Lynn on a TV show produced in Tacoma, Washington, BC lumber baron Norman Burley invited her to Vancouver. She performed in a barn that had been converted into a performance venue in front of executives for Zero Records. They signed her released her first record, I'm a Honky Tonk Girl. Lynn made a few more records for Zero before jumping to Decca Records, and the rest is history. A recent poll in BC shows schools and workplaces need to do better when it comes to the treatment of people with disabilities. The poll by Research Co. suggests one in four British Columbians with a disability have experienced some kind of discrimination in the past year. They also report nearly half of the acts of discrimination happened in workplaces, and 28% of respondents were discriminated against at school. An awareness campaign will run until November 20th across Greater Vancouver to help tear down those social prejudices. Coming up, what might be the cheesiest artwork in Canada? You won't believe this. There's a giant Cheeto in Cheeto. It's probably the best story of the night. Why the <laughs> snack food maker picked this prairie town for its sculpture. Also later, a knockout attraction in Victoria. Why champ boxing is such a hit. Ongoing wildfires have prompted another air quality advisory to be issued for the eastern Fraser Valley. Metro Vancouver says smoke, high humidity and low winds are contributing to elevated concentrations of fine particulate matter and hazy conditions across the region. Anyone who has breathing difficulties is urged to reduce outdoor physical activity and the situation is not expected to improve until the weather changes. When in the world is that going to happen? Looks pretty stable right now, but Christy's got the details. How are you doing, Christy? Great. I mean, it does mean beautiful sunsets. As soon as that sun drops a little bit, it makes pretty nice sunset, that's for sure. But I just wanted to let you know, we still have uh, 185 fires burning across the province. That's an increase of 25 just in the last few days because of how dry it is. A lot of people, though, wondering when that change will occur. We don't know exactly when that will occur. But what I can tell you is this. We are predicting another La Nina winter. So here's a quick look. So winter 2022-23 will likely be a La Nina winter. They are saying that is the climate Prediction Center is saying 91% chance that that will happen from September to November. And, and La Nina typically means a wetter than normal uh, here on the coast, but more so in the winter. So we're sort of waiting for that transition to occur. And believe me, it could happen really quickly. How Will it last through the entire winter? Will we see that substantial snowpack like we did last year? That's a little bit iffy. It's only about a 54% chance that that will maintain through the winter months because this is the typical pattern that we get is a wet but that means a lot of snow in the mountains and as we just heard earlier in the newscast that substantial snowpack can really be a benefit for our water supply now right now though we have no benefit for our water supply we are looking at a few showers for the north coast but otherwise hot and dry as far as we can see temperatures above seasonal for this time of year tomorrow's not going to be a scorcher we'll see a little bit of cloud cover through the morning and then sunshine by the afternoon but we are expecting the temperatures to soar to 25 26 degrees 
rallies potentially Thursday and then right through the weekend also. So that's flirting with record-breaking uh, conditions once again. Tonight's central windows weather window is a stunning one from the Port McMinnial area, but this is really looking out over all of the northern Vancouver Island. Last night there was a little bit of aurora borealis as well as the fog that you see down below. Unbelievable. Thank you to Nant Anthony for that one. Beautiful. Amazing. Otherworldly. Right. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Incredible. Thanks, Christy. All right, a small, quiet hamlet about 30 kilometers east of Calgary is suddenly getting a lot of visitors. Global Sarah often explains why snack giant Cheetos decided it would be the perfect spot for its new cheesy roadside attraction. You'd be forgiven for missing Cheetle, Alberta. But at the end of a dirt road, a quiet farming community of less than 100 people is suddenly gaining attention. Ah, oh, there's been quite a bit of traffic. Over the weekend, a strange object appearing on the horizon. Just looked a little different. I was looking for it all the way up the road. And visitors by the hundreds suddenly drawn to marvel at what has become a social media spectacle. Well, to come and see what's all the fuss about. I got two messages on my phone, one from my girlfriend who is also a Cheeto fanatic like myself, and my husband who says, you won't believe this, there's a giant Cheeto in Cheeto. Landowners have put up signs asking the many visitors to keep a respectful distance. Uh, we just saw it on social media and we really like cheesy. So. A local movie prop artist was commissioned for the sculpture, a collaboration with Cheetos, now leaving its orange mark on a community with a kindred name. Yeah, well, it's, that's, that's the cheese, I guess, right? The cheese <laughs> powder. You can see your, your orange fingers. Oh, yeah. Uh, as I was driving up here, I thought, I sure hope they make the fingers orange because you cannot eat Cheetos without getting orange fingers. <laughs> Alberta has its share of roadside landmarks, giant pierogies, dinosaurs, even the Starship Enterprise. I mean, we've gone to Vulcan and places like that, right? But this 17-foot-tall road snack... It's big. <laughs> it's bigger than what we thought. I mean, I thought it was a bit smaller, but that's... But there it is. There it is, yeah. Proving to be a tasteful testament to its temporary namesake home. But it's the place on the map. Sarah Often, Global News. That's what puts the place on the map. <laughs> Why not Hawkins, though? Yeah, Hawkins are, are good. They're a little crunchier, more hearty, right? And, and Canadian, too. And Canadian, that's true. Better is the consensus in yeah, the control room and newsroom down here. All right, Squire just popped up in the box. What's going on for you? Well, that statue was disturbing. Um, <laughs> the uh, Whitecaps have given CEO, sporting director, Axel Schuster, a new four-year contract. I'm pleased, I'm happy, I'm proud also um, to, to have the chance to, to stay here for another four years. Schuster feels he's getting a good core of players together and says the bar will be even higher next year. Mm -hmm. Also coming up... Red Carpet Boxing, the new series in Victoria that's already a knockout hit for athletes and their fans. all the way or at least you know for a few years <laughs> for four years 
at least four years. Uh, well, then again, who knows when it comes to sports. The uh, Whitecaps will be uh, continuing under the direction of Axel Schuster until 2026. He signed a four-year contract extension today. He's been with the Whitecaps since coming over from Germany in November of 2019 as the CEO and the sporting director, and he's happy to be staying here providing nothing unforeseen happens until the World Cup comes to Vancouver in four years. Axel Schuster's first three seasons in Vancouver have been busy both on and off the field. He's had to guide the club through the fallout of allegations of misconduct years before he arrived here. He had to deal with the players being COVID exiled in Utah at the start of last season. Also last season, he made a coaching change from Mark DeSantos to Vanny Sartini, who was able to rally the Whitecaps to a playoff spot in 2021. The Whitecaps also won the Canadian Championship this year, and he's built a core group led by Ryan Gold and is starting to convince supporters that his direction has a future. They are liking every result, but to hear from them, hey, um, things have changed here. Um, we, we, have, uh, we have more trust in the organization and we have a better feeling towards the future of this organization. That means uh, everything for me. The future also apparently includes Vanni Sartini as head coach, whose current late season rally has done a lot to improve his chances of staying around. I, I would say for what I described, what is my leadership style and what I see as next steps, uh, he's a very good fit. Another big question, is Lucas Cavallini a very good fit? Axel Schuster has to decide that before next season. Uh, we will have a discussion also with him and uh, what his ideas are um, because he is uh, too, too big of a player to, to just continue with him if he doesn't feel comfortable in the role that he has to play here, the way we want to play and the minutes he gets and then we will see. And even though the Whitecaps have a chance to make the playoffs with a win over Minnesota on Sunday, the bar will be set much higher by Axel Schuster for next season. Obviously a home playoff is the target and uh, that's what we see was maybe even possible this year when if everything would have played together we also know that there have been some challenges with players coming in late or uh, injured players but if if you put that all together a home playoff has to be our next step canucks general manager patrick alvin has cut his roster down by uh, 13 players defenseman danny de kaiser who was on a tryout basis didn't make the team he was released uh, most of the players leaving Vancouver are being sent down the freeway to Abbotsford or put on waivers with the hopes that they'll clear those waivers and then also go to Abbotsford. No real surprises in the group. Tristan Nielsen, the former Vancouver Giant, Danila Klimovich, uh, Will Lockwood, Arshdeep Baines, Wyatt Kalinick, uh, goaltenders Mikey DiPietro, Archer Siloffs are all going to the farm team. Uh, Guillaume Brisbois, Brady Keeper, Noah Juleson, John Stevens, and the goalie who played last night for the Canucks against the Oilers, Colin Delia, will have to clear waivers before they go down to Abbotsford. In fact, uh, the Canucks are playing in Abbotsford against the Oilers tomorrow. Hey, that's Matthew Barzell of uh, Coquitlam and the Islanders. Got a new eight-year deal today. He's going to get paid $9.15 million per season. Former Burnaby Winter Club star, was the NHL Rookie of the Year in 2018. Would have been a restricted free agent had he not gotten the new deal. He'll make $7 million this season. The new deal will start next season. Well, we've talked Whitecaps, so let's talk Whitehead. Lucky Whitehead, the Lions receiver, was at practice today, but he was just watching because he's suffering with a sore ankle, which the BC Lions are going to be very careful with.
We don't think it's overly serious. I think he's likely out this week. We have not ruled him out this week, but um, we also want that guy 100% for the home stretch as part of this other motivation. So we're working working this out over the next couple of days to see how he feels. But uh, right now we're planning that he's out, although we have not ruled him out. Might be best maybe get him a little bit of rest? Um, just it's a long season. He's been battling through a few things over the weeks. And, um, you know, he's obviously a totally dynamic player when he's 100% healthy and, and can run like he wants to. So we just want to make sure that, uh, that we're uh, getting him to that point. Historic moment tonight for the 62nd time this season. Aaron Judge has hit a home run that breaks the American League record of 61, which lasted for 61 years. The old record by Roger Maris is now Aaron Judge's record. Not the overall record for Major League Baseball. That's, of course, Barry Bonds. Mm -hmm. A questionable record, I would say. But this one is 62. It's an American League record. And a fan caught it? I think a fan did catch and it. Fan caught it. We'll see. It's kind of like having someone throwing a winning lottery ticket at you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right, thanks, Gore. Up next, the promoters bringing fight night to Victoria and how they're hoping for a knockout success. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. Sometimes the news gets weird and Jordan Armstrong <laughs> is standing by with a preview of what's coming up tonight at 11. Jordan. Every day in BC the news is weird. Thanks Chris. A You're closer look at what's going on with the justice system and why even repeat offenders are being released from jail just hours after their arrest. As you know, there have been multiple examples of this in Vancouver in recent days, and perhaps this is what Chris was referring to, the search for a missing serval, similar to this one near Qualicum Beach. There were actually two of the African cats that disappeared. One has since been caught, but not before killing a pet, and understandably, people who live there are on edge tonight. We'll hear from them at 11, Chris. No doubt. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, promoters in Victoria are taking a swing at creating a new kind of sports experience for boxers and boxing fans. It's giving them a chance to showcase their skills like the pros do in a gritty venue that seems like it was made for it. Jay Durant shows us more on This Is BC. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Champ Promotions. It's fight night in the capital city and a new boxing circuit is giving local athletes center stage in their hometown. A lot of times when they get into the higher levels they have to travel Ontario, Quebec, sometimes down the states. And so we're trying to make it so that Victoria becomes a destination. We get walkout music, we have people are allowed to like cheer us on, we have a red carpet, we have to do our thing, make, make it a little bit more fun because we, we, we train so hard. Champ Promotions kicked off the series in the spring by converting Victoria's 109-year-old roundhouse into a boxing venue that came with a bit of nostalgia. Something about it that just felt gritty. Felt like you stepped back to the 1930s and it should have been in black and white and the only thing was missing was the cigar smoke in the room. And out of the red corner and Now we're here on Songhees Nation in this beautiful uh, Songhees Wellness Center and this is a great venue. Both stops offering a unique evening of entertainment. Representing Island Boxing. That's as much about the pageantry as it is the pugilists. And the number one thing is to give the fans a good night. That, that's really the thing. 
Now, with two successful cards under the belt, plans are already underway for the next date. The goal is to keep it going and maybe even do some pro shows. The evening, the event, the location, the energy, the unique feeling of each event is what we want to try and continue. We've got some of the best athletes in the world here in Victoria. Let's let them shine. Let's show them, give them a spot to do it. Jay Durant, Global News. And oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, where do you email it, Chris? Just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. <laughs> you guys were harmonious there. That was really lovely. are. Working together. Exactly. <laughs> Routine. All right, final word on the weather, Christy. Sure, I mean, we have no change in sight. It's a gorgeous sunset tonight, and we are expecting the haze to continue tomorrow. A bit of cloud in the morning, but otherwise sunshine. Enjoy, everyone. All right, will do. Thanks very much, Christy, and thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.